Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Sweet will of God. You know, as I think about that and I think of Jesus as he taught while he was on earth, I appreciate how he epitomizes the idea of God's will. We can go a couple of different places, but I'm going to mention a couple of passages. You know, when you think of Jesus as he taught, you know, why, why did people gather around Jesus? Well, some gathered because they were very impressed by the works that he did. Some saw the food that he provided, and they were very glad to receive that. Some knew of his great teaching. But obviously, some responded very positively to what he said, but some uh, did, didn't really receive him real well, did they? But if you think about the very center of what Jesus had to say, I'm thinking of John chapter 5, verse 30, at least if you want to know where it is, but it's a brief verse saying, My judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. A chapter later he says, For I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when we think of Jesus, we think of the Father and we think of the Son, I would say that their will was almost always the same, but it may be that Jesus' will may have been different in some instances, who knows? We'll get to a place later where it does seem to be slightly different, but whatever his will was, whose who's will did he want to do? Not, not my will, but my Father's will. This afternoon, as you may know, I'm going to be talking to you about yielding my yielding our own or our free will. You know, G did Jesus have free will when he was on the earth? Certainly. But he yielded his will to his Father's will. I really appreciate, of course, how the lessons that Craig is teaching and the lesson that I've been asked to give go together so well. You know, what we found, and, and Craig began it this way, when God created Adam and Eve, when God created every human that's been born since, when God created you and me, what did he plant within us? Free will. We have the will to do as we choose. And that's a very good thing. In a sense, Craig had the first part of the story. Now, as he gave his lesson, he hit on topics related to the second part as well. But I'm going to be telling you about the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is, as God gives us free will, he also asks us when we become Christians, you know, we are born of the flesh with free will. When we become born of the spirit and of the water, God asks us to do what with that free will? Yield that free will to him. You know, admittedly, we may not really realize that at the time. What needs to occur when we become a Christian? What do we really need to realize? We need to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. We confess that he is the Son. We repent of our sins. We're baptized. We put on Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. All that's very well and good. Some people, when they, when they become a Christian, realize they need to yield to God's will, and some may not know that just yet. But over time and over the following days and weeks and months and years, as we mature in Christ, we realize the importance of yielding our own will too. You know, I like how Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 go with that, where Jesus at the time says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, in the context of this lesson, what is it that we 
are when we we deny ourselves. What do we deny ourselves of? Our free will, in a sense, right? That could be the connection we're making with this lesson. If our main desire is to to uh, to live our life according to our own free will, we'll ultimately lose our life. But if our desire becomes to yield our will to God, then that's the way our life will be saved. Now, of course, it's saved through Christ himself. Now, Craig was nice enough to have a visual, and he didn't have to draw it. My talent is not in drawing, but I'm going to give you a visual as well. Let's see. On the other side. You know, the reason I'm giving you this visual is as I was thinking about one of the main topics or the theme of my lesson deals with the word yield. You know, as I was thinking about it, as I've grown up, I've heard the word yield a lot and had a, have a, a good impression of what it is. Sometimes as I'm around, and I mean, I do, I substitute a lot teaching-wise. I mean, I'm still around the young people a lot. And as I am, sometimes I realize that phrases that I may have grown up with 30 years ago you know, aren't necessarily the same phrase that they may hear today. You know, as I was thinking about the word yield, I don't really know the exact how often 15-year-olds today hear the word yield. I don't think it's used quite in the same, at least as much, in our, in our society. Now, hopefully, if they are a part of the church, they've heard, certainly heard the word and have an impression of it. But I was thinking about probably the most prevalent use of the word yield in our language, in our time, Deals with road signs. You ever seen that yield sign? If you can drive at all or if you're at least 10 or have been paying attention at all, you've seen plenty of yield signs in your life. So we're going to use the idea of the yield sign to, to convey the idea of yielding our life as well. So here we go. Let's see. Here's how we're going to start. We've got a nice big old wide road. And over here we've got our entrance ramp. Well, let's see. Here we go. We're going to call this my will. Now, in case this is being recorded for people who aren't here, uh, and just as it, it may be taped, and if that's the case, is this being recorded or not? Yeah. Okay. I need to stay a little closer to the mic then along the way. But what we have is here we've got a nice big road that's my way or my will. And over here, we've got a nice little entrance ramp. And of course, what's the sign on that entrance ramp? Let's see. We're going to draw an upside-down triangle. And I'm just going to put a big Y in it for yield. There's my yield sign. You know, and really, this represents us when you stop and think about it. I can, I can draw little cars on here if I'd like, and all of that would, would convey many different areas of life that deals with my will. But, you know, I'm glad for anybody to be on this road as, they real, as long as they realize the most important thing on this road is what? My will. Whatever I want to have done. So along comes my brothers and sisters. And, hey, as long, I'm happy for you to get on the road with me as long as you realize the, the rules of the road. And the rules of the road are my way is king. And so... Uh, when your brothers and sisters are around, guess what? Remember what's important here. It's my way, my will. Well, along comes your parents. And your parents, hey, that's fine. You can come right on the entrance ramp too. You can get on the road with me. But what do you need to remember? Remember, this is all about me. And so, 
As long as, as long as my parents are going right down the road with me and they're, they're all along with my will, everything's great. And then along comes God. God can get on my road too, can't he? So God comes down the entrance ramp and he jumps right in and he can go down the road with me. And you know, guess what? Since my way is king, my will is king, you know, and God wants me to do whatever I want to do. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And so, God's going to realize how great my will is, and his will is just going to conform right to my will. My will is God's will. Right? Uh, you know, some of this said, was said in tongue-in-cheek, I hope you realize. <laughs> and over here, we're going to draw another road. Over here, we've got, let's see, we've got a little road coming down through there. And we're going to get a nice big entrance ramp this time. Okay. Now, this is God's will. Well, we'll get to why one's a little wider than the other in a minute. But we've got kind of a smaller road this time. You know, this road, it seems, doesn't look quite as nice because it's a lot smaller. You can't have quite as many people on this road, can you? Is God willing for anybody to come on that road? Sure. And so, you know, lots of people start on that road or they kind of hit, well, they at least look at the entrance ramp. They get up to that entrance ramp and they see that that doesn't look quite as appealing. You know, I remember when I was in California a few years ago, we were, we ended up, there was a about four of us that one afternoon went into Mexico, okay? Not saying that was the wisest move to drive into Mexico, but we were going down Highway 5, and it was really, really wide in San Diego. And all of a sudden, what I was noticing is shortly after we got into Mexico, the road wasn't nearly as wide. The road was a lot smaller. And I say that simply because, you know, that smaller road also didn't look quite as appealing. This one looked really nice as it, went, as it was going. But the narrow road didn't look as good. And so if we would have been smarter at that time, we probably wouldn't have made it all the way in there. <laughs> but in general, some people may get on the entrance ramp and say, well, I don't really want to go on that road. Other people may get on the road but decide that road isn't really for them. Because what we realize is God, when we come on this road and we're headed down this way, God's will is the one that's king. Here I said, many people perceive that my will is God's will. Over here, God's will becomes our will. That's how it is when you choose this road. Now, many of you are probably aware of the, the passage that I'm basing this great illustration on. It's a great passage. I'm not sure it's a great illustration. But hopefully it conveys the idea of what we're, what we're headed for. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, as you're aware, I'll quote it from the King James at the moment. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. You know, there's something in that passage that it tells us that I didn't actually include in my drawing. Does anybody have any idea what's in the passage that I haven't yet included in the drawing? Where it goes. Where it goes. Oh, there we go. 
So what do we see about this big road, this big, nice-looking road? It says it leads to where? Destruction. But the other road leads into life. And really what we're saying is this road leads to hell, and this road leads to heaven. I don't know about you, but that changes my perspective of the road. This road may look a lot nicer to start with. And, you know, I think a lot of people may, have, may, may not really realize where the roads are headed. They're on this nice big road, and they're just going with the flow, and everything's good and great. But they don't really realize what's around the corner and over the hill, and maybe it's still a thousand miles away. But that's, that road's going to destruction. That road's going to hell. This road looks a lot less inviting to some. But if they knew where it was going, it would look a lot more appealing. As a matter of fact, now that I know where it's going, you know, it looks heavenly to me. And that's a good thing. You know, coming back and talking about this, in essence, what I have here is a very simple drawing. It's very crude for, to someone who is a little bit more artistic to me, than me. But really, to me, it also epitomizes one of, the, some, one of the more profound ideas of life and of the Christian life. <clears throat> in a sense, we could think about this being my will or we could think of it being our will, our as in a broader sense, the context of man. You know, what we see is many merrily head down this road, Okay, we, but many people realize, uh, fail to realize is a simple concept that it's, it's not God who yields his will to ours, but we yield our will to his. So all these people are heading merrily down the road. Who's headed down this road? Are non-believers going down this road? Sure. But is that all that's headed down the road? You know, are young people headed down that road? Not all young people, I'm saying, but are, are there many young people headed down that road? Are there many middle-aged, older people? You know, in a sense, when we're younger, there's certain wisdom that we haven't yet gained, and so it makes sense that we might be thinking that my will is king. But it doesn't stop there. It's not at all just age-specific in that sense, because there's many that are, should be more mature that have that same perspective. And unfortunately, there are many who profess to be Christians that get on this road as well. You know, as I think about, about what this looks like, again, remembering that as we're born, we're given free will. How many people really look to find out what the will of God is? Even God's people. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, Craig spoke about disappointment. God was certainly disappointed with his people many times. The prophet Hosea in, in chapter 4, verse 6, said, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And because they aren't looking for that knowledge. Let, let me go to that. There, there was another part I wanted to include with that, so let me turn there real quickly. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, to get the last part of that. Because it's important for us to think about this too. He includes, first, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Okay? 
And I think that applies to us today, too, because we as, as New Testament Christians are also part of his New Testament priesthood. Um, so at least it could be uh, conveyed in a similar way. But what we're seeing then is a lot of people allow their will to be king. Often they've never really figured out what God's will is. And this is true of Christians too. You know, I read sometimes things, and, I, and I'm right now talking about the word, the idea of Christian used in a broader sense. You know, there's many people who profess faith that don't necessarily believe the Bible to be necessarily true. They're not using the Bible as the basis of it. I've seen some newspaper uh, letters to the editor and articles and editorials and things recently um, dealt with dealing with certain uh, t topics of our society today from a, a, quote, academic perspective. One of the comments after it, I mean, this, this gentleman that I'm thinking of at the moment was is a professor emeritus of, of the religious department down in S at Missouri State University. Uh, someone had written, an art, uh, written a comment after it was appreciating what a great academic article it was. Now, an academic article in that case is simply man using his great wisdom that sometimes undermines or often undermines God's wisdom. What do we find in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12? There is a way that seems right unto a, but the end thereof is the way of death, destruction. So my point at the moment is there are also a lot of very well-meaning Christians who also, or well-meaning professing Christians who also get on this road. They haven't necessarily found out what the will of God is. And so they take that perspective of what we were saying. My way, my will is God's will. That's what people really, I think, often case, oftentimes believe because God is love. Because of God's love, he's going to want me to do what I, what I believe to be right. And I'm going to follow this. And God's going to get right on that road and he's going to be right, going right down the road with me and appreciating so much that I'm following my will. Because that's his will too. Again, hopefully realizing that that's tongue-in-cheek, but that's the reality for many. And it can be the reality for us if we don't gain the knowledge. Can we be destroyed for lack of knowledge as well? There are times that even among ourselves we can, um, you know, evangelists or others can, can cringe at times for the lack of knowledge that may be in congregations, that may be in situations. So we certainly... It's good for us to have an overall perspective and see what's going on around us, but also it's good for us to examine ourselves and make sure we don't fall short in these areas too. But what we see again over here then is as we remain faithful, as we choose to follow God's will, as we get on this road, one of the main principles we have is who is yielding to who. I guess I didn't put my yield sign here, and I haven't been using the word yield a lot, but that's the idea we're talking about. I am yielding my will to God. I am giving up my will for his. You know, as I was looking in the Bible and looking at the word yield, now the word yield is in the Bible several times. It's in a variety of contexts, and it's not necessarily in this context very often. I'm going to mention Romans chapter 6 in the old King James. The new King James uses a different word here, and I didn't really look at other other. Um, translations at the moment on it, 
But I am going to use Romans chapter 6, verse 13, as a, as a passage for a moment, uh, bringing it out from the, from the King James Version, when it says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. As you go down a couple more verses in verse 16, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that though ye were the servants of sin, ye have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness." You know, and I don't know that the, the New King James or the NIV and other translations necessarily even use the word yield in that sense. That's the only one that I had noticed, at least, that you used it in this sense. And so I, I thought it would be good to bring that out. I'm going to change gears just a little bit, and I'm going to write three words on the board. I'm going to write the words yield, submit, and surrender. And I found it interesting, yield... Submit, surrender. As I was thinking of, of, of kind of describing or a definition of yield, since that's what we were talking about, I came across an interesting definition on one of the websites that I thought I'd share with you. You can take this for what it's worth. I think it does have some very good perspective of it, though. So I'm going I'm to read you three definitions and word usages of this. This one said, to yield is to concede under some degree of pressure, but not necessarily to surrender totally. To yield ground to an enemy was the example given. So this, this uh, definition, according to this, is yielding is to concede under some degree of pressure, but not necessarily to surrender totally. The second one is submit. To submit is to give up more completely to authority, superior force, etc., and to cease opposition, although usually with reluctance. To submit to control was the one given. And the third one is to surrender is to give up, is to give up complete possession of, relinquish, and cease claim to. To surrender a fortress, to surrender one's freedom or rights. Now, you can agree with that definition or slightly disagree with it, but again, I think it at least brings up a good thought about it. As we've been using the word so far, as I've used the word yield, in general, I've thought about this as being a total yielding. But I think there's some, some merit to thinking about this. Uh, going, going back again, to yield is to concede under some degree of pressure, but not necessarily totally surrendering. And that other one was to make up, uh, submit was to give up more completely, uh, although with reluctance. And let's just talk about these ideas in life. Parents and children. And since children sometimes feel a little picked on, we'll go with parents first and then children. You know, your parents have given up. If you're parents, if you are parents, I should say, or if you're a child, I'd like for you to think about it from the parent's perspective. Has your, have your parents yielded their will to yours a few times in life? You know, the first time you cried at night, do you think they were excited to get up and help you? <laughs> was their will to stay in bed? They yielded their will. 
for the child's will. When it was time to, to buy certain things, if there was only so much money to go around, how often do parents yield what they may want to have to buy something for their children? Just a couple of examples there. And maybe it helps us to gain a perspective then when we are children and the parents have certain guidelines, as Craig gave his example there. The idea of the parents are the ones who are in, in control, if you will, and there are many times that children need to yield their will to their parents. But the point I'm making right now is in both of those cases, was it necessarily done uh, really excitedly? Did the parents just, were they super excited to get out of bed to help their little one when they cried? Was there some degree of reluctance to do that? If you're a husband and wife and you've had some disagreements about something, I would imagine all hus many, most husbands and wives at least, you know, there's lots of decisions to make in life. And you, know, you don't always see eye to eye on every one of them. If you're a wife or you're a husband, have there been times that you've yielded your will to your spouse? Did you always do that super excitedly? <laughs> Was there some reluctance there? And so what I do appreciate about this definition, about this idea, is yes, there are times that we may not yield it fully, or we, we are willing to yield, but yet there's definitely some reluctance there as well. Do you think that can be true as a Christian as well? And some people may at first glance say, no, if you're going to give up, if you're going to yield to, to Christ, you need to do it totally. And I think in maturing, as we mature, that is true. But I think part of the reason, part of the examples that I've given in everyday life, whether it's to your spouse or your parents or to your children, I think helps us to learn how to do this. So when it comes to God, we can do it more fully. But what about Jesus? You know, was Jesus here to do the will of his Father? Definitely. Go, go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. I think, God, I think Jesus was very willing to yield to God's will in every instance. But when Jesus was preparing to die on the cross, is there an inkling that at least from his fleshly perspective, he was very sorrowful? You probably are aware of where I'm headed with this when he was in the garden. In Luke chapter 22, um, we'll pick up with verse 41. He was withdrawn. Of course, this is from his disciples a little ways. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, I don't want us to, to draw a false conclusion. I think in the vast majority of time, Christ's will was exactly what his Father's will was. And I think from the long perspective, Jesus' will here was also very much in line with his Father. But Jesus was of the flesh. You know, I don't know about you, you probably have some examples in your life of times that you were willing to do something, but right, I mean, in theory, you were willing to do it. But right as you were headed to do it, you were kind of like, what am I getting myself into? I was, one of the things I was, was I was a distance runner in high school. I ran the two mile at pretty much every track meet and appreciated the reward that came with it. But pretty much every time I stood on that starting line, knowing I had eight laps to go, 
I knew the next 10 minutes would not necessarily be fun. Did I, was I a willing participant in running? Yes. But there were times that I just, I wished I could be inside anybody else's body <laughs> that wasn't ready to run. And of course the same was true when I was in the fifth and sixth lap along the way and things are kind of tight, kind of tough. And I bring this up, in a sense I hesitate to draw a comparison to this, to, to Jesus Christ himself, but Christ was very willing to die. But yet as he was part of the flesh, and he knew what the next 24 hours was, was going to be like for him, was he a little bit reluctant? Now having said that, was he fully willing to submit his will to God? But if there's any other way we can go about it, can we? His fleshly will was with him. You know, I, I appreciate what comes right after that. I'll pick back up with 42. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So as his, his will was not weakening, but there was a part of him on the flesh that was weak, but we do appreciate that an angel was there with him and strengthened him then. And so I think there's a value there to realizing that there can be reluctance here. Often we think of the offering or we think of the collection. When we give money on the first day of the week, when we return back to the Lord what he has given to us, what do we often emphasize about our heart? Willingly, not grudgingly or of necessity. And I think that's very, very true. It's the same thing here. We need to do it willingly. We need to not begrudgingly as we, as we give our will up to the Lord. But I think there is a maturing process there. Not all of us will always do this without any reluctance. I think this is a part of life, a, a part of the, of the human condition. But hopefully as time passes, we'll get better with that along the way. You know, there's much that we could say here. I'll kind of summarize three or four other brief things with this. We've talked a lot about free will, giving up our will to God, uh, talking a little bit about other people as well. We've mentioned it some. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians, a couple of passages from here, uh, and just touch on them briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I appreciate that uh, Craig, as he talked on in his lesson, mentioned this, but he didn't actually mention the first few verses of that chapter, so we'll touch on them briefly. And I need to get to first instead of second Corinthians. In first Corinthians chapter six, we remember that um, there could be disputes among brethren. At the time it seemed that some brethren were taking other brethren of the Lord uh, to court. And of course Paul is is condemning that practice, if you will. First Corinthians chapter six verse one, dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Over the next few verses, he encourages them, hey, if there's a dispute among you, take it to someone of the church, let it be settled there. In verse 7, he goes on to say, now therefore, if it is already, <clears throat> excuse me, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Yield your will to other people. Yield your will to your brethren rather than taking them to court is an idea brought out there. We go on a couple of chapters later. We've got the idea of conscience. First, 
First Corinthians chapter eight. Uh, of course, the time, the issue at at stake at the time was was eating of meats offered to idols. We may not have that particular issue today, but we know that there's lots of instruction given to us in the Bible. Some people take the instructions of the Bible, the principles that are laid down, and reach certain conclusions. And those conclusions are very appropriate for them. Other people may take the instructions of the Bible and reach a slightly different conclusion. In these cases, we have issues of conscience. When, we have, when you have an issue of conscience that allows you to do something, and someone else has an issue of conscience that does not allow them to do something, what should happen in that case? Does the Bible tell us here? Give up, even though you may, it may be appropriate for you, if it's going to cause a problem or a stumbling block for someone else, yield your will to help them. There's a couple of instances there. A last passage I'd like to look at a little bit is found in Philippians chapter 2. To me, this is a very appropriate and powerful passage that talks about this topic. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. I won't go all the way through this, but I want to hit verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing here to the Philippians. He'd obviously been impressed with them for a particular reason. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, there's a few things after, excuse me, after this that are very appropriate for this as well, but I'm going to stop here for the moment. Okay? Paul is commending them greatly because they are very obedient. They've obeyed the Lord very well, both in his presence and now also in his absence. But I really want to hit on verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When we think about yielding our will to God, when we become a Christian, we receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. God is now within us working. Yes, it could be said that Christ is there as well or that the Christ is there through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But as we, from the first day of our Christian life to the last, the Holy Spirit is within us. God is working in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In essence, he's working to try to help us to yield our will to his, to yield our actions to his. I appreciate two words there, will and do. And when I see the word will and do, it's, it's what I, it's my desire and it's my action is what we're talking about. Does God impose his will on us in any way? No. Is he influencing us by the Holy Spirit? He's certainly trying to. Again, do we have free will though? to choose to be influenced or to quench the Spirit? Yes. But to me, there's a power here. Something for us to remember, that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, is within you. And while he is in you, he is working to influence you in your will, allowing you to yield your will to his and to yield your actions. You know, and really the key is your will. Because it's whatever you will to do that you end up doing. If your will is changed, 
if your will is yielded, then your actions for him will follow. And so this afternoon, so far, we've had the opportunity to talk about our own free will, God's will, and how they combine together, yielding our will to God's will. We've got our illustration here, and again, the idea is do not allow the theme of your life to be my will is king, but allow the theme of your life to be God's will is king. Then God's will will be my will too. So we thank God for the gift of, the, of free will, but we return, we really show God our thanks when we yield our will to his. This afternoon, we draw this lesson to a close then, and we offer an invitation. There's many people here who have yielded their life to the Lord. There are some of us here today who have not yet yielded your life to the Lord. In this case, yielding your life to the Lord implies that you understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that you're willing to confess that before all of us today. That is one of the first and greatest things you can do on the road to yielding your will to God, to repent of the sins that you have committed, to have a desire to follow him, to be immersed in the waters of baptism for forgiveness of sin, and arise and truly begin that life of yielding your will to God's. If this is your need and desire or you have something else to bring before us, please come as we stand and sing.